Revelation chapter 9, we'll start in verse 1 and we'll read through the entire chapter, then we'll get into it. It says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from, then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. And on their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces, their hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. And they had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lions, and smoke and fire and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horse is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see, cannot hear, and cannot walk nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So tonight we get into the, um, the three last trumpets. We won't cover all three of them. We'll probably only cover the fifth and the sixth more than likely. But if you will remember, basically the, um, the Lamb has taken the title deed to creation. You remember that? And it has seven seals on it. And in those days, anytime there was a deed to a land or to a house or something of that nature, 
there would be seven witnesses that witnessed the rightful owner of this property or whatever it was, and then they would seal it, each one of them with their seal. And in order for this thing to be open, typically, if they were um, still alive, they would take and each one of those witnesses that were witnesses to the fact that this person is the rightful heir to this, they would take it and they would break each one of these seals. And what we have here is a picture of those seals being broken as Jesus takes the title deed to the earth and He opens each one of these seals. And the Bible says that it is the Holy Spirit that witnesses to it and it represents Him as seven spirits. And We don't know exactly why that is. Could just be that number seven represents completeness in the Bible, correct? So it could just be that the seven seals just represent the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We don't know for certain. But for whatever reason, there are seven seals of the seven spirits of God and each one of these seals are open. And as they're open, we see um, war that takes place on the earth. Uh, we see uh, famine that takes place on the earth. We see uh, many deaths from war and famine that take place on the earth. We see uh, Christians that are martyred for their death during one of these seals that are open. We see earthquakes, eclipse, meteor storms fall into the earth. We see mountains and islands removed from their places. And we see the greatest of men to the poorest of men running to the mountains, crying out to the rocks, saying, please fall on us and hide us from the wrath of the Lamb, for it is very great. And then... As the seventh seal is opened up, the seventh seal introduces seven trumpet judgments. And each angel is given a trumpet to blow, and with each trumpet that is blown, another set of judgments are poured out onto the earth. And so basically that's what we have got to. But then when we got to the end of the fourth trumpet last week, before the fifth trumpet is blown, we see this great eagle flying in the sky. and for whatever reason, this eagle is preaching. This eagle is um, proclaiming and he's saying, woe, woe, woe to the world because of the three trumpets that are about to blow. And in biblical history, one of the things that we find out is that whenever we hear the word woe, it represents despair. It represents dread. Something very bad and terrible is about to happen when woe is, is said. Uh, a lot of times in the olden days, the prophets of old would see something and they would say, woe is me. In other words, great dread or great despair has come upon me because of what I have seen. Or you remember when Jesus would proclaim woes on the Pharisees. He would look to the Pharisees and He would say, Woe to all you Pharisees, for you do this and this and this and this. And the point being is, because of what you're doing, there is great dread and great despair that is coming. And so ultimately, when we hear this eagle saying, now to me, I'm sitting here thinking, Woe at the first seven seals. I'm thinking, woe at these first four trumpets. But this great eagle in the sky proclaims to the world, you ain't seen nothing yet. And so he says, woe, woe, woe 
to the inhabitants of the earth that about what you're fixing to see at the three trumpets that are about to blow. And that's where we get into Revelation chapter 9. In Revelation chapter 9 verse 1, we see that the first trumpet is blown. And I want you to notice what happens here. In Revelation 9.1, it says, And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from the fallen from heaven to earth and he that's important and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit now it's very important that you understand when we read this we've already seen stars fall in previous trumpets we've seen stars fall in previous seals but in this context we see that the star here is not necessarily a, um, a celestial body that twinkles in the sky. Alright? What we see here is that this star that is fallen from heaven to earth is a what according to the end of that verse? A he. He. So this is a person, a being of some kind. Now, one thing that, that I, I've been trying to teach you, um, and this may not be, uh, this may confuse you more than help you, but I just want to show you something that, that does help us to study things like this. In um, the Strong's Concordance, I'm going to pull this up here, and I'm using Bible Hub, if those of you that are not familiar with this program, but basically I can go and I can click on any verse and I can pull up the Strong's Concordance. I've showed you this before. If you don't understand it, you want to know more, um, you won't be able to talk to me tonight about it, but get with me and I will help you to, uh, to understand how this works. But basically what you can see here is as I'm rolling down through here, it's going to lay out each one of these words. The first word of the verse is then, the... And then it will, um, well, why did it quit working? Well, y'all ain't going to get to see it. But anyway, you can go down to this word in which we translate it, I saw a star falling. Do you see that, uh, that section? And if you were able to go, now it's working. All right, so first off, I want to go to the part that's translated that had fallen. Because if you have a King James Version, does anybody in here have a King James Version Bible? What does your King James Version say here? Okay, so I saw a star fall. Not a star Fallen. What's the difference in fall and fallen? Here is where I believe that the ESV and the New American Standard really gets it right, I believe. Who has a New American Standard? Anybody in here have an NASB? Tell me what the NASB says, how they translate this. Because this is important. which had fallen. That's important. He's not talking about something that He is presently taking place. He's not saying, I saw a star fall. That's not what He's saying. 
He said, I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. This is something that has already happened. One of the things that you'll notice here whenever we look at that had fallen, and this is something that I don't want to confuse you, but I want to explain it to you. You see this part right here? What is it? The word is a verb, first and foremost. So that represents action, right? The next part is not just a verb. It's a verb with a perfect participle active verb. Let me just... Here, and you could Google that, all right? You could Google right now, what is a perfect participle active verb? What is that? And Google would just plainly tell you, it is a verb in which a prefix or an ending has been added to it that says it makes it past tense. It has already happened. So it'd be like us. You have the word fall, right? In our language, we have fall. But if I add E-N to the end of fall, what does that tell you? That's the difference between a verb that is not a perfect participle active and a verb that is. So again, I'm not trying to confuse you here. The point being is this. When you go back and you study and you find something like this and you look at that old Greek word, we understand that it's not just a verb that says this action is happening. This is actually a verb that in the Greek, if we were reading it in the original Greek, we would understand the difference between fall and fall in, right? Well, it's no different for us now. And this is the difference in translations. Some translations catch it. It's not that the King James Version is wrong. It's not. This star did fall. <laughs> But I believe it is more clear in the interpretation in translations like the ESV and the New American Standard Bible. I believe the New American Standard is the most accurate translation of it because it actually puts in there, which had fallen. So that's the first clue that we get to figure out what or who this star is. We see that this is an event that has already happened. And John is saying, I saw a star that had fallen from heaven to earth. Now we also know from using the Bible to interpret the Bible that many times in the Old Testament the angels were called stars. We know that that's what they were called. But we also know that there is a difference between a celestial body that twinkles in the sky that is a star and there is a difference in an angelic being that is also co uh, compared to or called stars from time to time. And, and the reason I say this is because when you go back to the previous trumpets, we have also already saw stars that have fallen, right? Now we see a different kind of star. The first point about this star is that he already fell from heaven to earth, or it already fell from heaven to earth, some time ago. That's the first clue that we get about this star. The second clue we get about this star, you've already mentioned it, is that it is a he. It is a he. So this is a masculine being of some kind that has fallen from heaven to earth. And then we get some more uh, clues about this. We uh, also see that he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. We see in verse 2 that he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit. 
We also see, if you go down to verse um, 11, that after all of these things come out of this bottomless pit, in verse 11, it says, they have as a king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, which means destruction in Hebrew. And in Greek, he is called Apollyon, which means the destroyer. So basically, we have all these clues about who this angel is. First off, he fell from heaven to earth. Who did Jesus say he watched fall from heaven to earth like lightning? Okay. And then we also know that Satan is a he, correct? It says here, it tells us in the Bible that Satan's tail drew a third of all the angels with him when he came, correct? And so we know that there are many that follow him, all right? Many that do his bidding. And he is, in a sense, right now, a king over all of those that are doing his, his bidding. We also know that Jesus said his only purpose was to steal, kill, and destroy. And so here we have so many clues that help us understand that it is very likely that this star that John saw that had fallen from heaven to earth, all the clues that we have here point to the fact that this is probably Satan. We also know that Satan does not have the key to hell. How do we know that? Revelation chapter 1, verse... Um, I'll have to find it. Revelation chapter 1, verse... Verse 18. This is Jesus talking. He says, I am the first, the last. I'm the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have what? Satan don't have the keys to hell. But notice what verse 1 of Revelation 9 said. I saw a star falling from heaven to earth and he was what? Given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Only God has the authority to command demons to go to the bottomless pit or to hell is what I believe this is here. And only God has the authority to open the pit so that anyone ever gets to come out. Well, in this instance, I believe what we see here is hell being opened up in this trumpet. And literally for all this time and all the seals and all the trumpets, we have seen everything come from heaven. Stars falling. We, we have seen weather events and we've seen so many um, meteorites and so many things come from heaven. Well, now the judgments no longer come from heaven, but where do they come from? Now, God, the reason why these three woes are even greater than anything that you have yet to see is because now He literally gives the key to the king of all the demons and He gives him permission to open up the bottomless pit and allow all of these demons that are kept in bondage in chains to come out and give them a job to do, to destroy 
and to do nothing but have destruction in, in, their, um, in their purpose. Let me show you just a few Scriptures so that you understand what I'm talking about. In uh, Jude chapter 1, verse 6, somebody look that up for me and read it. Because the word that you... That's another thing. Let me teach you this. Look, at, look up at the screen again. And I want you to notice what is the word that's actually used where we put bottomless pit. What is the word? Abyss. We, some versions actually translate it abyss. The Greek word is in blue right there. Abyssal, or however you would pronounce that. I'm not sure if that's the right pronunciation. The point being is here's another tool that you can have when you're studying. If we want to identify what this bottomless pit is, if we want to know where this is that He's given the key to that opens up, we can go and we can search this Word. One of the things that I could do is I could come here and I could click on this Word right there. And if you'll look over on the right side of the screen, it would go directly to that Word and it would give me every place that this Word is used. So whoever got Jude 6, just hold your place there. Does somebody look up Luke chapter 8, verse 31? Uh, Tim, look that up for me. Luke, ch Luke chapter 8, verse 31. This is another place where the same word is used. Now, let me give you the context of the story before Tim looks it up. You remember the story where there was a man that was demon-possessed and he was out in the graveyards and they tried to chain him up, they bound him, they did everything, uh, but uh, he was always breaking them. They couldn't... And Jesus got in a boat and He went to the other side and He found the man. And the man comes running up to Him and He says, "Why? What have I to do with you, O Son of God? Jesus Most High or something like that. He said, have you come here to torment me? And then the demons look at him and he said, are you here to send us to our final destination before the appointed time? And you could find that in Matthew chapter 8 in the other version of the story. But just for this purpose, look at Luke chapter 8 verse 31 and what does that read? So there's the Word. You remember when Jesus asked, He said, Who are you? What did, that, what did the demons say when they identified their name? Legion. Why? Because they were many. That's right. Because they were many. So here we have many demons in this man. Many. They have took up residence in this man. They are spirit beings and have took up residence in this man's body. Jesus comes on the scene and He's going to address it. And they beg Him, please don't cast us out. If you were to go to Matthew chapter 8, verse 29, you would see that this account tells us that they looked at Jesus and they say, please don't send us to the abyss before the appointed time. What does that tell you about what the demons know? They know that there is a time that they're going to the abyss, to the bottomless pit, if you will. But they don't want to go yet. And so they plead with Jesus and they say, please don't send us to the bottomless pit. And what did Jesus do? Huh? Sends them into the hogs, right? So Jesus understands that there is a time for Angel, for these fallen angels, these demons, to go to the bottomless pit. 
But he also knows that it's not time for all of them. So for whatever reason, Jesus knows that it's not time for these. These still have a purpose in God's grand scheme that we don't get to see. We don't know why. But He sends them into the swine, and then what do the swine do? They run and they jump off the cliff and they kill themselves. All right? And so again, we don't really know what all is taking place spiritually right there, and where those demons go and what happens. But we know that Jesus does not command them to go to the bottomless pit. But we do know through another scripture, who has Jude chapter six, Jude chapter one, verse six. All right, read it for me. Okay. So Jude tells us that there are angels or demons or bad angels here that did not keep their proper place. In other words, you remember in Job when, when Satan went to present himself before God and God said, where have you been? And what did, Job, what did Satan say to God? Looking, looking for someone to devour. And then what did God say? Have, what about my servant Job? Here's the point that we get. All the, the Bible tells us in Job that all of the angels came to present themselves to God that day. They had to give an account. And they had to tell God about their comings and goings and what they're doing. Not that God didn't know, but they had to answer for it. It's a time of judgment, if you will. And you remember what Satan said? He said, the only reason Job loves you is this and this and this, but if you do this, then he'll curse you. His faith will be proved not to be genuine. And then God said, you can do this, this, and this, but you can't do this, this, and this. You remember that? The way, if I'm understanding this correctly in Jude, is what Jude is saying is there were angels that apparently... They had stood before God and wanted to do something. And God said, you can do this and this and this, but you can't do this. And apparently, these angels, according to Jude uh, verse 6, did not stay in their proper place. They tried to do something that God said, you cannot do. And because of that, God sent them, what did it say, Mary, at the end of it? So here, God chains them up and He puts them in this bottomless pit, in the abyss again, if you will, and He puts them in this place. And now what we have happen is that we have this abyss that is full of angels that throughout all time have not kept their proper place of authority. So these are the worst of the worst. Y'all tracking with me? These are not just demons. They're demons who said... I don't care what God says. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm just going to destroy. And God says, no, you're not. You will either work according to my purpose, or you'll be in chains in the bottomless pit. And He puts them in chains in the bottomless pit. Now, the time of judgment comes. And He gives the king over them that had fallen from heaven to earth the key to the bottomless pit. 
And he comes down and now Satan has the key and he opens the pit and all of these that have been kept in chains are now released and the worst of the worst of hell pours out of this pit. And this is what we see happen. Now go with me to verse 2, Revelation chapter 9. So he opens the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened from the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions of the earth. They were told, You cannot harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads They were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. In those days, people will seek death. But what would be the problem? Can you imagine what it must be like to desire nothing more than to just die? And you can't even do that. All I want to do is die, and I can't even die. They will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. No matter how hard they try, no matter what they do, they cannot die. They cannot die. All they can do is be tormented. In verse 7, here we see what the bodies are like, all right? We're going to see. And don't, don't get too confused on this because here's the point. Some people have had tried, tried to turn this into Apache helicopters. And I mean, I don't know. It could be. I'm not saying it's not. But I, here's the point that I want you to make. I want to make to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Bible tells us through the Apostle Paul that Everything that is created has been given a body as it pleased God for whatever purpose it was to serve. Do you not think that God can also give these a body as He sees fit? I mean, there are all kinds of bodies on this earth. We've just come to get used to them. But now, you know, if you had never seen a, um, a briar patch before, Anybody here ever seen a briar patch? And I ain't talking about no little bitty patch of briar. I'm talking about a, a sure enough briar patch, all right? If you've ever seen one, you know it's just rolls and rolls of briars. And if you had never seen one before, never seen it, and you walked up to it and you looked at it, you might think, wow, that's pretty neat. I mean, they just twirl and they wrap all around, and that is, that is neat. But what happens when you reach inside of that thing? The the point that I'm making is everything. Now, I don't know what God's purpose was. Yeah, I do. Genesis tells us. He said thorns and thistles it'll bear for you. So that's, that's part of the curse. But God gave it a body exactly for the purpose that He saw fit. The same reason He did with a tree, an oak tree, a Bradford pear, an apple tree, a peach tree, a pear tree. Um, the same thing He did with... Um, uh, fish and sharks and whales and same thing He did with men and women and children. But He gives everything a body as He sees fit for the purpose that it is designed for. Well, I believe that's no different than what He's doing right here. So let's look at what these bodies are like here. So first off in verse 7 He says, "...in appearance the locusts were like horses prepared for battle." 
Alright, so appearance looks like what? Looks like a horse. Now John has never seen anything like this before, so the only thing he can say is, guys, this is kind of what it looked like. He's trying to use terms and things that he knows of to try to describe to you what he sees. And he says here that it looks like they were locusts, number one, and the locusts looked like they were horses prepared for battle. And here's the description of a horse prepared for battle. On their heads looked like what were crowns of gold. So it looks like they have something on their head that's kind of like a crown of gold. Their faces were like human faces. The hair on their head was like women's hair. So basically they got, I'm assuming, long hair probably. And their teeth is like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their... What? Not wing, but wings. So they've got at least two, maybe more. The noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. So their wings sound like a stampede, right? Verse 10, They have tails and stings like scorpions, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. And then again, they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is destruction, and in Greek he is called the destroyer. So here is the first woe that we have right here. And in the first woe, hell opens up, literally, and it belches. And when it does... Out comes all the contents that are in there and they are released in bodies with a purpose to to hurt, harm, to bring destruction, and to destroy. That is their purpose that they are turned loose on this earth for. Now, that's what you have to look forward to if you are still here when the fifth angel blows his trumpet. Now, in verse 13, Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. So here we have the sixth angel blows his trumpet, all right? And here again, we have demons that have been bound for some reason. Now, I don't know of any good angels that ever had to be bound, right? And so we see here that these angels have been bound. We also see here that they have been bound, uh, apparently if I read it right, at the great river Euphrates. Now, we know that... Euphrates was one of the rivers that flowed out of the Garden of Eden. It was one of the major rivers that flowed. And so um, I don't really know why they were bound at the river Euphrates. I'm not even going to try to give an explanation. But I do know that Euphrates plays a major role in the end times and in this area. So for whatever reason, 
Euphrates is where these angels or these demons are bound at. And then they are released at this angel's trumpet. So the sixth angel, when he blows the trumpet, it is a cue to release the bonds of these demons that have been bound not in the bottomless pit, but at this part. Now one explanation for it, if you'll go with me to the book of Daniel. Let me see if I can pull it up on my phone where you can see it on here. So if we go to Daniel chapter 10... And let me pull up the ESV version. And we go down to verse... um, Look at verse 12. So in verse 12, Daniel's had a vision. And he's trying to get the meaning of the vision. He wants to know what it means. And this angel comes to him. I believe it was Michael. We'll read about it here in a minute. We'll find out for sure. But here's what the angel says to him in verse 12. Then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. But look at verse 13. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me, for I was left there with the kings of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen to your people in the latter days. Here's the point I want to make. This angel lets us know something here. Persia was one of the people that were trying to oppress and were oppressing Um, the Israelites. This angel was trying to get to Daniel to give him a message, but he was being hindered by one that they called the Prince of Persia. One of the things we see here is that apparently Persia was being influenced and being led by a demon of some kind. And he tries to hinder this angel from getting to Daniel. So we see here that great evil powers in the world are typically influenced in some way by, um, by demons. Now go down with me to verse um, 20. Look at verse 20 there. Then he said, Do you know why I have come to you? But now I will return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. So here he points out that, and you remember, Rome was Greece, right? And so again, he's pointing out the fact that there is another evil power that's fixing to rise here that is going to be influenced by a particular angel or fallen angel, a demon at this point. So one of the things that I think we could say here is that these four angels may be angels like this. Angels who um, were leaders in some way and were leading entire um, nations into evil, into sin. And so it is very likely, in my opinion, that these four angels here that are fixing to be released are angels that are actually going to lead nations into war, nations into battle. Now let me tell you why I say that. Go with me to Revelation chapter 16. 
No, I'm sorry. Hold you. Look, let's read the rest of Revelation 9 one more time. In verse, um, verse 15. All right. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, the year, God knows, right? And He's prepared them for this. They were released to kill a third of all mankind. And then look at verse 16. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. You do the math on that? That's 200 million. 200 million troops. Mounted troops. All right. So we're talking about a massive army that these four angels are leading. Right? Now hold your place there and go with me to Revelation chapter 16. Verse 12. Remember, this is the sixth angel, all right? He's blowing a trumpet. Now here we get into the sixth angel with a bowl of judgment that he's pouring out. Some people believe they're the same thing. I don't know if that's the way I see it or not, but I want you to notice something that's interesting. In verse 12 of Revelation 16, the sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates. And its water was dried up. Why? For what purpose? From the east. So we see kings, plural, from the east coming, being led by likely these four angels, nations coming together for a massive war that's about to take place. Okay? But here's another thing that, that's vital. What did it say in Revelation 16 again about the Euphrates? This is interesting. Hang on one second. Is the Euphrates River drying up? It ain't going to talk to you. Let me read it to you. Iraq's two main rivers, the Euphrates and the Tigris, will run completely dry within two decades unless action is taken. A report by the country's water ministry has warned. The two rivers which originate in Turkey and run through Syria are the source of up to 98% of Iraq's source water service supply. Here are just a few pictures of the Euphrates River today. Y'all looking at them? You taking a good look? Well... Now, I ain't saying anything, all right? How many preachers have stood up there and said, guys, the time is nigh, the time is nigh. I'm not saying anything. But this river is a massive river. Massive. Is this not at least interesting? That's all I'm saying, all right? That's all I'm saying. This is at least interesting. So, now go back with me to Revelation chapter 9. And we see four angels that have 200 million soldiers. 200 million. And they're marching from the east toward the west. And then notice in verse 17, And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire, which is red or orange, right? And breastplates were the color of sapphire or a blue smoke color, if you will. 
and of sulfur, which is a yellow color. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads, and by means of them they wound. So again, are we talking literal here or are we talking symbolic? Um, I don't know for certain. I believe you always translate or interpret literally unless something gives you a reason to interpret it symbolically. The reason I could agree that this could be symbolic is because it's a vision that he has. And he says it was the appearance of this and this and this. And so I believe that we could say that this is a symbolic of war and uh, machine guns and maybe Apache. Yes, it could be symbolic of all of these things. But it is interesting to me that we see some of the great things that are predicted coming to pass right now. Um, and these articles that I looked up were written in 2021. And so this has only been a, a recent development um, in the, the Middle East. All right, now go with me to verse 20 and we'll close with this. Remember, a third of them have been wiped out now. Now remember, a quarter of them had already been wiped out in the first seals. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see and cannot hear and cannot talk. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thieves. So here's the question I want to ask you tonight. According to that last section, what's the point of all this? God, I mean, we know judgment, right? We know it's judgment. But God, what's the point of all of this torment? What's the point of all these demons being unleashed? What's the point of all of uh, heaven falling down to earth and just destroying? What's the point? That's right. So, again, the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver. Really, whether we want to see it tonight or not, yes, this is judgment, but it is still mercy. It's still mercy. It's not the real woe yet. That's exactly right. That's right. But people's heart are so hardened and people are so in love with their sin and with the things of the world that they will not repent no matter what happens. That's a hard heart, ain't it? Uh -huh. Yep. Here's another thing that's pretty interesting. In verse 20 it says, "...the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the work of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons." So in one way or the other, people that are not submitting and surrendering to God Almighty are worshiping demons in some way. We could talk about what that looks like. 
They worship idols of gold, of silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see, they cannot hear, cannot walk. And he's talking about created things here. That's what he's talking about. All right? But look at verse 21. Nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries. That's interesting. What's he talking about? Well, let's pull it up. So let's go here and go to the Strong's. They did not repent of their sorcery. Let me turn it up here where you can see it. Nope. Hang on, if this thing works with me. Sorcery. It does represent this, but what's the word that is used? What does that sound familiar to, Lethally? What do pharmacists do? Let's click on this word and let's just see in the Greek what it would have meant. So, let's read right here. Properly, a sorcerer, but not just a sorcerer that's cast in spells. That's not what he's talking about. A sorcerer in another way. Used of people using drugs and religious incantations to drug people into living by their illusions. They're talking about people that would rather be under the influence. I don't care what it is. Under the influence instead of being sober-minded. Under the influence in some way of whether it's alcohol, no matter what it is, they take themselves out of their own mind to go to another place and they will not repent of it. They would rather live there than they would under the authority of God. That's interesting to me. Because what is one of the world's biggest epidemics right now? It ain't COVID. Matter of fact, compared to drug use, COVID is not even a blip on a blip on the radar at all. Drug use and, um, and, and these type of um, sorcery, if you will, this is one of the things that's interesting to me that he says they would not repent of. And so here I see, or what you just tell me, what do you get from this tonight? From all that you've read, what's the point? What do you take home from it? What's the application for you and me? Mm-hmm. That's a good application or a good interpretation. Repent now. You know, that's the thing that you hear. And the reason I say this is important is because you don't hear that in today's gospel at all. Today's gospel in its majority is not repent. It is God loves you so much. God has such a wonderful plan for your life. And God would never want you to, to not be happy. So follow your heart. That's right. Don't judge anybody. Don't, you, it's not your place to tell anybody that they're in sin or anything. That's today's gospel. But do you want to remember what was Jesus' gospel? Let me find them. I wrote them down here somewhere. Let's look at the first one. Uh, Matthew chapter... 
And this will be the end of it. I'm closing. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. Let's see what Jesus' gospel was. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. And here it is. From that time on, Jesus began to preach. And this is a quote. This is not just a summary. This is the quotation of Jesus' first message. The first sermon He ever preached as the coming out Messiah. This is His, this is his sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I could also take you back and show you what John the Baptist's message was. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message of the gospel and the message of the church has always been one thing. Repent. You have a responsibility to turn away from your sin. You have that responsibility. Repent. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven is at hand because judgment is coming. And so I believe one of the applications that we take from this tonight is that repentance is still commanded for you and I today, right now. We have to be in active battle with our sin. I'm not telling you that you have to be sinless, but I'm telling you that it is not okay for you and I to make covenants with our sin and for us to just cozy up with them and not fight with our sin. We, each and every one of us, have sin in our life. Anybody in here without sin? But the question is, are you fighting it? Are you, are you giving it your... That's the reason why Paul said when his race was over, he said, I have fought what? Every day, it's a fight. Every day. And you know, so many people can't do the Christian walk because they're too lazy to fight. It's too hard. It's too difficult. And they won't fight. But when Paul got to the end of that thing, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And finally, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness that He is going to give to me and to all of those who love our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Repent, for the kingdom is at hand. Any questions tonight? Yes. No, uh, chapter 7 did, didn't it? Oh, yes, yes. From, from the, the 144,000 that were sealed. Yeah. <laughs> well, He sent an angel to seal them. Right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh uh, the seal came before. That's right. The seal came in chapter 7. That's right. All right. Anybody else got any questions tonight? It ain't no sermon. It's just all we did was read a chapter. I mean, you just got it. So um, it's just the word of God. I can't. Um, I can't say. I mean, I didn't do nothing but just tell you this. Thus says the Lord. That's it. So. Um, what you say? It's so good. <laughs> <laughs>
No, I, I, I mean, seriously, that, there is nothing I love more than to hear teaching. That's right. Whenever I walk away from here, when I walk away from a teacher or preacher, I listen to Chris Sunday morning. Fantastic job. Because I walked away from that message, I got that. That is what the Lord said. Not Chris. That's what the Lord said. And that's what I look for in a teacher. Um, you know, I've listened to... And I don't know if y'all know this or not. Listen, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not boasting here. I'm not. But most of Wells Baptist Church ain't got a clue what you've got. You ain't got a clue. Because a majority of the pastors around here... I have walked away from so many pastors and listening to so many preachers and walked away going... What in the world were they trying to say? I got no clue what they were trying to say. And, and I want to walk away from the Word of God saying, that is, that's what it says. There's no denying it. There's no debating it. I heard the Word of God tonight. I wasn't just encouraged and built up and, and cheering on. Thus says the Lord. That's what He said. That's right. That's right. I agree. Amen.